Hello and welcome to the Limerick Post Podcasts. We are Limerick. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. Join me each week as we get to know the people of Limerick who are making the city and county what it is today. You can keep up to date with all Limerick news, sport and entertainment by following the hashtag Keeping Limerick Posted across all our social media channels or visiting limerickpost.ie. So for this week's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Kinsler, or as his son calls him, Steve Oog. <laughs> How are you getting on? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for joining me in here. Um, so your role with UL, your uh, associate lecturer in economics. Yeah. So um, I've been in UL for nearly 13 years now, and now I'm an associate professor of economics um, and you know, started as a junior lecturer. So very much a man and boy I've been in <laughs> UL. And uh, it's great. I mean, the Kemi Business School is a really remarkable place to work. Yeah, uh, There's loads of different types of people working there who are all interesting and interested in loads of different things. So um, you walk along the corridor and every single day someone will say, you know, something like, would you like to hear the sounds I recorded um, for their Mardi Gras? You know, and that's a new kind of uh, paper that I'm going to write about the, you know, the soundscape of a festival. Or someone else will say like, oh, I've just I've just written a report on um, the future skills requirements of the economy. Do you have any thoughts? Um, and other people are making apps for um, to, to help people who have um, different types of depression. Um, and like. So it's never boring. It's always interesting, and then the students are great too because they're and it's a beautiful engaged. building as well. Yeah, I've been it's in it a couple of times. It's yeah, it's nice great and bright. Building. Everything. Yeah. yeah. When I started in UL in two thousand and six, um, uh, just right after the big lad there was born. Um, sorry for the listeners. My two sons are in <laughs> the room with me. Um, uh, we might hear from them later. But when uh, uh, my son was born, um, he. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, they're just messing for, in the corner. They're there. just messing in the corner. <laughs> um, for when my son was born, um, uh, I went in there, and and the, because they were building the new building, they just kind of stuffed us anywhere. So they literally put me in a chemical cupboard. Lovely, yeah. So they just took the chemicals out and stuck me in there. <laughs> and uh, so it's really nice to be in a kind of a, a world class building, which has you know, it, uh, it. I think it was the first one in the world, uh, a simulated trading floor, so our students can actually learn how to use you know Bloomberg terminals and Reuters screens and all that kind of stuff, and they're ready to go. And how did working finish. in a chemical closet help with your uh, production of books and papers? At the Time. you know there were no windows actually so it was <laughs> it was pretty good to be honest it was really good i think that was 2006 2007 so it was a pretty productive year actually yeah, yeah, it was. It was, yeah so uh, your journey to limerick you, you lecture in melbourne as well in australia yeah, yeah yeah so i started in so i'm from dublin and i went to trinity college and then i uh, for i did a b.a in economics there and maths and then i i went over to galway and did a master's and a phd in NUI galway in economics and then i went to new york so I did another master's and another PhD because I'm an underachiever, obviously. Um, and then uh, January the 6th, 2006 comes along. I'm happily being a graduate student in New York, living in the East Village. It's all very nice and, you know, it's all very bourgeois. You know? <laughs> and uh, uh, my uh, then girlfriend, now wife, said, um, guess what? I'm pregnant. Okay. Get a job. Yeah. And uh, I said, no worries. And uh, luckily enough... UL offered offered me a junior lectureship, so it was yeah it was it was great because uh, my wife's actually from um, 
my wife's actually from uh, uh, Limerick, so it, it, it's nice all one. worked out really well. And the two lads are fully Limerick, as you say. Yeah. Well, it, I think it could, I think it comes out um, most notably in like rugby matches. Yeah, because I'm a Leinster Sports supporter. Sports is where it brings people out. Isn't I'm a Leinster yeah. supporter, you know, and I'm never not <laughs> going to be a Leinster supporter, you know. <laughs> and the lads are just monster to the bone, yeah, you know, as they should be. Of course, but I've just never been able to, to swap, you know, and I'm not going to uh, either, really, um, you know, because they're the better team. <laughs> <laughs> but for yeah. the last few years, they have been, lads. You think uh, Munster might pick it up a bit? Yeah, definitely. You'd finally get one over on your dad. <laughs> so the first, the first match ever, I, 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 I took them to, Toman Park, uh, was Leinster versus Munster, and uh, Leinster lost. Uh, they were destroyed actually and uh, it was yeah it was a particularly <laughs> bad day so you thought yeah. you were onto a good thing bringing them in and, yeah yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> no it was like 40 something like yeah it wasn't a great result for Leinster that day so we've done well since I, I was going to ask why you moved to Limerick and I think that that, that was answered there but uh, how are you finding life in Limerick life is great I mean we, we live out we live out in Maru and uh, you know we're very uh, happy with the community out there and uh, we do a lot of work in the community and it's great I think one of the best things is we're having the, we're, we're allowed and allowing the kids to have the kind of childhood that you know, you'd always really want. Um, they're able to go outside and play with their friends. There's no kind of, you know, they're safe and they're happy and that's great. And, you know, the commute is next to zero um, out to UL. Lovely and area. It's perfect. And it's yeah. just great. We've got Glenstall Abbey, which is an amazing amenity. It's just a, it's a wonderful place to uh, raise kids and just to live. So, yeah, I'm very happy out there. And how is that different compared to growing up in Dublin? Um, I think one of the biggest differences is there's just far more greenery available. So I would have grown up in, a, in, in, in uh, yeah, I think, I think there's just a perception that it's just safer and freer. And I think that, that, that is really, that's my, my experience of it. I may not, I've never checked the statistics on this stuff. So, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't be exactly right because I, but, but I, that's just my feeling. Yeah. And then, uh, it is a lovely place, Limerick. Mm. The city isn't at its peak. No, no, it's not. Um, I, one thing I really like to do is is look back maybe a year, two years, five years, ten years. And with Limerick, if you compare 2019 to 2009, like there's no doubt that things are just better. Yeah. You know, uh, unemployment is, 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 is really, really low. It's actually almost at a historic low. Underemployment is at a low. Youth unemployment is at a low. So it's, it's you know, the, the, everything's moving in the right direction. Um, there are jobs being created here. There, there's, you know, a startup culture that's, you know, uh, it's being accompanied by a kind of a weird hipster culture, which is evolving in its own way, which is cool to see. It starts uh, with the know, coffee shops. It starts so. with the coffee shops. And yeah. coffee is just amazing here now. Yeah. Food is amazing. Um, we went out uh, yesterday, took the kids to uh, to just a restaurant and it was like delicious. It was really, really nice. Um, uh, what was it called, Lads? What's it called? No idea. No idea. It was a, a <laughs> pizza place. It was... Davincenzo's. Davincenzo's. It was delicious. Yeah. So no, it was. It, you know, it's it's a place where you bring your kids. Uh, it, it's nice and uh, it's good. But what's missing is again on the on the scale. So if if, if it's incomparably better, two thousand and nine to twenty nineteen. If you go back a hundred years, right to uh, you know nineteen oh nine, right. 
what you find is that uh, Limerick's quite a wealthy place in 1909 relative to Dublin, relative to the rest of of of, of uh, the island, and it's 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 okay. It's doing quite well, and you see this in the buildings. So if you if any of the listeners go on Google Images and just Google Limerick in the 19th century and O'Connell Street, what you see are essentially the same buildings, right? And the, but the facades haven't been updated. They haven't been changed. The, the only difference you see really uh, is that the roads have uh, cars on them instead of horses. So we've really missed a vast tranche of infrastructural investment that many other cities had. And they were able to generate over decades. And th- we're always starting from uh, further back because of that. There's also been a series of policies, particularly from the 1980s on, that encouraged large amounts of sprawl. So there's lots of housing estates plopped up all over the place with very few services attached to them. And this means things like um, transport, really inefficient, all that kind of stuff. So, so looking around on, on, say, on Twitter and social media and stuff like that, whenever the topic of business in the city centre comes up, it's always mentioned about this donut effect. Do you think there is one? The, uh, the statistics show that there is a donut effect. So essentially what that means is that rental yields, so the price you pay for you know, a square metre of, yeah. uh, or a, you know, a, a, an average building, let's say a one-bedroom apartment or something like that, uh, rental yields on that are uh, lower in the city centre than they are on the outside. So if you, if you, if, if, if you can see there's kind of a, a donut effect. And if you look at the population where people are actually located, the, the reality of Limerick City is that it's almost empty yeah. at night times. I mean, it's particularly interesting walking around at, you know, 7.30 on a Tuesday in an unremar- on an unremarkable week. The place is completely empty. Um, and it's ironic that we have this housing crisis and we've got a homelessness crisis and there's a homelessness issue in Dublin and in Limerick particularly and yet vast amounts of the city center proper are empty meanwhile you go out to the suburbs it's very difficult to find uh, good quality accommodation for most people so that's not a failure of common sense right that's just a failure of policy yeah Um, and and policy means uh, to me is the sustained application of government finance right so it's we will do this and we will put money behind that to make it happen. So policies to encourage people to live above their, their um, commercial areas, policies to get landlords to upgrade their, their buildings and, and bring them up to code, policies to encourage uh, uh, people in. And, you know, uh, there's often an assumption that um, this is some kind of call for gentrification, for example. You know, you want uh, middle class people and upper middle class people to come in. I don't think it's that at all. The, the truth about it is that most cities thrive with a mix and, yeah. and and you need a mix of uh, uh, new migrants. You need a mix of young urban professionals. You need you need a mix of people who've been there uh, with their families for four generations. And you you, you know you need uh, people who are retiring and downsizing. You need all that. It needs to be a mix. Um, and one of the things I think we're going to see, in particular with the move of UL into the city. So UL has bought a one point one acre site in the middle yeah. of the city. Uh, we're going to start seeing far more students washing through the city on a daily basis. So for example, I teach one class in UL, it's called International Political Economy. Um, it's about as much fun as, as that sounds. Uh, for some of the students, I love it, of course. Like I really, really love teaching the stuff. But when I, when I teach that, that stuff, um, uh, it's 580 students. So 
like if you assume like 350 of them actually show up on the day, right? Uh, that's 350 students an hour we're sending out yeah. into the uh, into the onto the streets of Limerick. So that that that's the kind of economic impact and the economic benefit that I really hope we see in the. So, year so getting footfall into the city centre is a major importance, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's talks of making the city more livable. Do you think that adds to it? Absolutely. Uh, so one of the things that we know about city centres now is that in order to have a really great city, what you need is a great university. You need a lovely city because people choose where to locate now. People say, I'd like to live in Berlin. I'd like to live in Dublin. I'd like to live in Dubai. They make these choices. And because it's a global market for talent, and this applies to UL students as well, by the way, UL students are getting headhunted out of the degrees now because of the employability skills we give them. And what you what you see all the time, actually, is... Uh, people going well you know they walk around the city for a day and they go do you want to live here would you like to live here you can have a good cup of coffee here you can eat a nice sandwich and canteen you can you know do this stuff all these things that really weren't there 10 years ago Mm -hmm. and you know they really are there now and uh, increasingly so the more disposable income you see in the city and the more people who are choosing to make it their home as opposed to you know they come in do some shopping on a saturday and then leave um, the more you'll see that kind of so, uh, so retention is the key yeah retention but just people of certain ages choosing to live in certain places so when I was uh, you know 25 I chose to live in New York City mm-hmm. right uh, I, I, I lived in a tiny little flat in the East Village in Manhattan right that's fine it's absolutely appropriate and fantastic and amazing uh, and a disaster if you've got three kids, <laughs> right? which I have, right? So at, ter- at certain points in one's life, one wants to do that. Uh, I can certainly see a situation where, um, you know, when they when they uh, uh, leave the house, you know, um, and and leave, they will. Yeah, <laughs> so they will. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catapult. Get out. They can't um, wait. Then, yeah, yeah, they really can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, and leave they will. Um, they will, um, you know, the, the house will be smaller and maybe we'll find ourselves in the city, you know, just downside. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing to look forward to. But space seems to be an issue with uh, Irish culture, I think. Like uh, people love having the massive garden. They love having a bit of space. You know, yeah. Families are generally larger or they were at one point. Do you yeah. think that's an issue in the city centre? I think... It's a really good example of the difference between um, policy and reality. So yeah. our idea since about the 1960s has been we should build a three-bed semi-D mm-hmm. and then put a family inside of it. And then that will be the main asset of the household until they die. And tax policy like has always been privileged this one asset, home ownership, above anything else. Yeah. So at the level, so the house is two things, right? Like it's an investable asset like a bond or a stock or something but it's also a a vehicle for living in it's actually a machine for living in uh to quote one famous architect so uh home ownership rates in ireland were like very very i think i I think at one point they were touching the high 80s which is very very high internationally it's a bit lower now yeah it's a lot lower now it's on it's on the way down below 70 percent now um and will continue to fall and so this, the, the idea was we will have three bed and four bed semi-Ds and detached houses for families of four, five, six. That, that was then. This is now. People are having far fewer kids. The average household is like less than two. Mm-hmm. So, and with kids, it's slightly more than two. So we're not seeing people 
with very large families anymore. So the appropriate size of domicile for them is in fact a lot smaller. So you don't need this vast, large space. So culturally that hasn't caught up yet. Um, we don't quite know how to live in apartments, you know, in a really, yeah. really nice way for a long time. If you go to Paris, you know, um, the average building height in Paris is six stories. Uh, it's lovely. You go there, people live in tiny little apartments, but they're they're quite nicely furnished and they eat out all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, when you see the when you see the the, the the sheer level of civilization, <laughs> you know, being afforded to these kids, you kind of go, geez, I quite like that for you know, my kids. <laughs> and it, I think it's it's I think Irish people are fundamentally reasonable and pragmatic. Yeah. And if you show them, look, you can have a really nice quality of life doing this, you have to show it to them. Right? You show them, this is what's happening. This is what it looks like. It's going to be great. They go, yeah, no, that's fine. But until you do, most Irish people are, again, pragmatic. They're going, well, I'm not going to take a chance on this. Um, and so they're going to stick with that. And remember, if you're a developer, all the tax policies, uh, all the development uh, levies and all that stuff, all the regulations, they still privilege a three-bed semi-D model for you. So the person who's being incentivized and sort of you know lit up a fire up under to actually build now, to uh, satisfy the needs of rebuilding Ireland, address the homelessness crisis and so mm -hmm. forth. They're all being in pushed towards a three-bed semi-D model, which encourages sprawl, makes pu public services far less efficient to, uh, uh, um, uh, to deliver, and you know, fundamentally is a kind of against the Paris model, really, which is, which is uh, you know, again... Yeah. It's really quite nice if you see that. So do you think with uh, UL moving into the city, there is that opportunity to build up and to show people what they can have? Yeah, I think what, I think what what's, what's really clear to me is that there's, as yet, hasn't really been a debate about this. Yeah. Everybody's bringing their priors to it. So I, I've said um, quite recently that I kind of want the, the new UL building to you know have three principles. Their first is openness. It needs to be open to the public. We need yeah. to be, we, we are funded by the taxpayer, you know, and if you pay your income, if you pay your taxes through your income, or if you pay taxes on VAT, you know, when you buy a Mars bar or whatever, your taxes, some of those go to pay for the University of Limerick and for my salary, for which I thank you very much. <laughs> um, but uh, it should be the case that a public institution like ours has a, is open to the, to the public. And there are areas of UL where that's not true. Um, so, for example, we have these extraordinarily expensive, uh, there are labs where we've got, you know, I think there they're kind of electron microscopes you can literally see atoms with, yeah. you know, the public doesn't go in there. I'm not allowed in there, right? <laughs> so it's not open. But so I wouldn't see, trust myself. I would not trust myself either. I break like iPads. So, you know, I, 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 I'm a disaster with technology. So I so definitely not. But um, I, I think at the plaza level, maybe the first floor, the second floor, I'd love there to be services you know so if you've got you know if you want to help with a, a will or something we've got a legal service available for you if mm -hmm. you've got you know medical issues we can come in and help you if you've got um uh if issues where you want to help you want us to help you start up a business you could get kind of clinical help there you know um so i would like it to be open and value adding for the for, for the public whose taxes pay our salaries right that's number one openness number two is connectivity so it should be the case that we we try very hard to stick people together the best thing about cities is that they crowd people together and they force ideas to spark off each other and the third and so there's absolutely no resistance to the first two yeah right those first two principles are like people are like yeah no that's cool third principle is height and it's been really interesting 
this discussion and it's kind of played out on Twitter and there's been a few debates and, and uh, we, I, might, I might write something more considerable about it uh, for the post actually um, on this. So why height? If you think about the future, we need to fit somewhere between two and 3,000 students on a 1.1 acre site. Yeah. Right. There's only one solution that delivers that. I'm not an architect. Build underground. I'm not underground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nine stories underground, like super villains. <laughs> We're going to just be super villains. That's the answer. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Dr. Evil, uh, as opposed to Dr. Kensler. Now, the, the main thing, the main thing is we need to have a discussion about the um, city skyline. Yeah. What does that look like? And so I bring my priors to that. I have a, I have a, a personal sort of interest. Like, would you like Paris? Would you like Barcelona? Would you like New York? Mm-hmm. Most people go, yeah, no, I really wouldn't like Hong Kong. And it's like, well, I don't think we're talking about a hundred story buildings. Yeah. We're not talking skyscrapers. But there genuinely is a question about what that would look like, right? So if you're standing on, you know, the Clancy Strand and you're looking across the river, what does that look like to you, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you're in one of the buildings that will be under the shadow of this thing, because it'll be big, yeah. you know, uh, what's that going to feel like to you? If you drive into the city or you drive up from UL and you're on a bus or whatever, this thing's going to be sticking up out of the thing. I mean, if it's if it's 15 stories high, like, yeah. I mean, it's not going to be 15 stories high. A very, and I have no, I should say, I'm not part of the design team on this. I'm a, I'm a carbon blob from Sector 7G. Right? <laughs> and that's, you know, I'm, I'm not part of the operational uh, team that delivers this. Um, the, um, these are my opinions. Yeah. And I've been saying the same thing since 2011. Um, so that conversation with the skyline, I'm totally w- willing, by the way, to be wrong about this. I think that's important. I mean, there well, are... I think that's important with most exactly. ideas for the public. Exactly. Is, uh, but uh, I really do think it's important that it's aired because what you see is uh, relatively few people with extremely strong opinions uh, saying, no, it has to be five stories. Yeah. Max. And I say, cool. Where do you put the other 1,500 students? And they say, Context. Anyway, yeah, but also <laughs> 1,500 students, you know, we have, we need seats, yeah. you know, each of these students presumably comes along with, you know, a pair of legs and a bum, and we need to put the bums on the seats. Where do they go? And nine stories below would be horrendously expensive, <laughs> right? And so... The, those, and a bit gloomy, I'd imagine. That yeah. would be, that would probably be right. Um, unless we have sharks yeah, with yeah. lasers. That'd be cool. Laser yeah. sharks. I think <laughs> you heard it here, here folks. You heard it here first. So th- those things are really interesting. Um, and I think uh, that a sensible discussion about that brings us a little bit forward. Most people, I would imagine, don't really think about this, this stuff until you ask them. And then I think the average citizen should have a view on these things. Some people might want 20 stories high, right? Yeah. Um, and be happy to live in kind of a, you know, which is kind of a, that's sort of Barcelona, right? Some people want, would want six, which is Limerick, but six everywhere. Yeah. And and th- that lack of variation may be more difficult. Um, I think, uh, you know, my my um, views have been slightly caricatured as saying, you know, you just want to stick a skyscraper onto the Georgian core. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, I'm working. I, I'm working on a project called the Positive City Exchange Program, which is a 21 million euro project between Limerick, Limerick. Um, UL, Limerick City County Council and Trondheim in Norway where we are actually going to try to retrofit some of the Georgian buildings to make them not just 
energy conservative but actually generate energy to give back to the grid true solar power true solar power yeah. wind power turbine power um and it's actually it's an amazing uh, project with brilliant partners i think limerick know. is in a good position because it's yeah. one of the green cities exactly green leaf and yeah. um, one of the one of the amazing things about it is uh i think the council is really forward thinking i mean it gets a lot of stick yeah um particularly on transport issues and stuff like that you know but uh if you look at the council it's got some really forward thinking people in it people who are thinking about the next 20 30 40 years thinking about how the council's goals align with the sustainable development goals set by the un i mean this is really you know pra- i mean it sounds like pie in the sky stuff but it's really practical yeah. what does it mean for a for a council that has a statutory obligation around many things to consider itself you know to to hunt for carbon neutrality in its policies while also like you know, people are going, oh, cut the property tax and rates could be lower and all this kind of stuff. It's it's an interesting um, set of questions to be involved in. And that's one of the other really cool reasons why I like being in Limerick, right, is that in Dublin, lots of the questions that we want to answer here are not possible to answer yeah. because Dublin's just too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, Limerick is the kind of place that if you made a really serious effort at changing three or four streets and convinced three or four thousand people to think differently the whole city center would be different yeah right like you could transform the entire place with less people that are currently on the dart in dublin like they were physically on the dart there's thousands of people on the dart at any one time yeah so if you just got those people to change their behavior even slightly you could change the entire fabric of the city and you have a set of institutions now that are kind of aligned so you've got UL, you've got LIT, you've got LSAT, you've got MIC, you've got the City and County Council, you've got all the businesses, you've got this, the Limerick Chamber, which is an amazing group of people, a really, really talented group. Um, and they're all kind of pulling in the same direction. I I don't think I'm uh, going to shake up anybody's worldview by uh, uh, revealing that this was not always so. Mm-hmm. Right. It hasn't always been the case that no major institutional actors have been pulling in the same direction. And it is the case now, at least as far as I can see. So that's a really, really big positive thing. And then uh, last year, uh, the government released this uh, Ireland 2040 plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went a few better and you're Ireland 2050. Yeah. So it's 10 years since you've written that book. Yeah. Has your view changed much? So what's been, what's been really interesting about the book um is uh, the reception to it in 2009 was kind of like really interesting book, bro. Bad time though, because remember, <laughs> 15. We were by 2011, we were at a 15% unemployment rate. Nobody was interested in the next 40 years, right? Yeah. Everybody was kind of going bread table now. Go mm-hmm. bond crisis, euro disaster, and you're talking us about, about that. electric cars and yeah, you know. nuclear power and yeah. this kind of stuff. Um, what's been interesting is that. All the stuff I wrote about the climate has happened. Yeah. Um, and our needs with respect to the climate. So one of the things I wrote about was, you know, Ireland's going to have a lot more really dry summers and it's going to be a lot wetter. And what happened last year? We had a really dry summer. I'm not saying like, oh my God, I predicted it. It's just obvious <laughs> from the climate models from 10 years ago, right? Nostradamus. Yeah, it's really, it's not Nostradamus. It's, it's anyway, Minute's climate model said, this is what's going to happen. And yeah. sure enough, it did. Yeah. Right. So that's important. Um, the, so the climate stuff has happened. Uh, some of the stuff around our government's policies have happened. So because we're so open, we have to just have an eye on the global picture 
at all times. Uh, that's been pretty, pretty kind of clear. I did uh, say I thought that the European Union was going to have a bit of a crisis with respect to its growth. I didn't predict exactly Brexit in the book, but one of the but but I, I you know ultimately something that expands that quickly has to have some kind of a dent yeah. put in it. Um, what was really interesting was it, the book doesn't fundamentally argue for a change in the nature of our lives, right? It says people are still going to get married in 2050. People are still going to live together, still going to have kids. The kids are still going to need to go to school. But uh, the challenges those kids face are very different. So those guys, uh, even the, the, the students I teach in the university, yeah. the skills that they learn from me are going to be obsolete in 10 years time. Mm-hmm. The stuff I was teaching 10 years ago is obsolete. I every year need to refresh and change and move on. You know, um, and that's part of the joy of the job. But it, 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 I think the pace of that is increasing. And so by the time... Well, I'd imagine there's a lot of courses go, now that yeah. by the time someone graduates, half of what they learned is probably obsolete. Well, I'll give you a very simple example. We, we run a master's in AI, right? So a very successful master's degree in artificial intelligence. Yeah. Which, you know, if you'd said, I'm going to do a master's degree in artificial intelligence 10 years ago, people would have said, what's that? Terminator? Mm-hmm. What? No. <laughs> now, um, now... Uh, universities all over the world are inaugurating 50 to 100 full professorships just to study AI. So people who know this stuff are in a vast growth area. Battery technology. 10 years ago, batteries were like Duracell, Duracell Bunny, whatever. Now it's like, we now need this stuff to power the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And these kinds of questions are present now and they will be important in 10 or 15 years. In 40 years, one of the things I was worried about a lot in the book was, where are we going to get the energy from? And I'm still worried about it. If you look at the rate of generation of things like solar power and and, and wind power, and, you know, like I said, I'm I'm actively involved in a positive energy uh, uh, um, project. But if you look at the rates of uh, production of those and the speed of increase of those rates of production, um, they're not high enough. Yeah. And they have themselves ecological uh, and biodiversity uh, uh, impacts. I still think we need to look seriously at nuclear power. I really do. And people go, what? Nuclear power in Ireland? You know, you go, yeah. It's it's a very different thing yeah. than it was in the past. It's not Chernobyl. I know there's fears you know? of a, like cell of field and stuff drilled into us as well. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I think it's just a different thing. So I think uh, with respect to that stuff, the... the a debate about how we generate energy just hasn't happened and that's been a pity um and i i i think overall if i was to write the book again the only thing i would change was would be the chapter on divorce my idea at the time was that um uh, i sort of like slightly anticipated the me too movement and saying you know female labor market participation is going to go up and up mm-hmm. and up and because it's going to go up and up and up that means uh, women are going to have more economic power and, and and more command over their labor power and because they're able to do that they're going to start saying no a lot more to um uh, bad partnerships and particularly bad marriages so my argument was that the rate of divorce would increase very sharply now in the middle of the last 10 years there's been a giant economic crisis where women lost their jobs first they experienced austerity harder uh, than men Uh, as a gender uh, austerity has a very gendered component to it Um, and 
the there's there the changes in divorce particularly um recently uh, have have not gone as quickly as i thought so i would rewrite the chapter on um social and family relations uh i don't think they change on a decadal scale i yeah. think they change on a maybe 40 to 50 year scale so i think things will be more or less as they are in the next 40 years all right mm. and then uh in the description on the back, one of the things that got me was the price of coffee. But apart from that, uh, yeah, um, price of coffee's gone up, right? Yeah, it has with it's the VAT increase up. as well. You know, it's, it's gone yeah. way up. Um, but um, another chapter is uh, about the kids. Yeah. Don't kill their creativity. Kill the education system. Do yeah. you think the education system, as it is, affects our economy, or will affect it, it negatively? Def- it definitely, definitely affects our economy. Um, and like is there a lack of creative thinking in of certain, course yeah. i mean the, the truth about it is uh the truth of it, like i said we're educating kids for a future that we don't know exists we don't know we have no idea what they're going to need and we know for sure it's not going to be the ability to regurgitate facts right they each of them have a supercomputer in their pockets yeah you know any facts they want they can access you know at incredible speed Right. Um, uh, let's see how fast. Aaron, <laughs> how fast can you answer this question for me? When was Archduke Ferdinand killed? Go. 1917. No, 1914. 19, well, so, yeah, yes, but oh, exactly <laughs> when. I like that. It just came out of Killian's head. <laughs> that's the yeah, supercomputer, dude. Supercomputer. He's sitting like, over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's just see. But while that's happening, um, they don't need facts, yeah. right? They don't need facts. They, they have it at their fingertips. There are a certain yeah. number of core skills that I would actually like to spend more time on. There are things that you that rote learning is very, very powerful for. You know, it's really important that the kids know their tables. Yeah. Like, it's really important that they know how to, you know, uh, decline a verb, all that kind of stuff. But uh, after that, no. They just need to know how to be critical. And that means you need to know how to be skeptical. Uh, the April Fool's Day test is really important. How do you know that what you're reading is correct? Mm-hmm. Right. It's a really powerful thing. Um, putting together persuasive texts, this kind of stuff. That's really important. And they're still being taught, you know, Big A Nakamura and all this kind of stuff. You and know? then uh, with, with uh, third level education, do we have an answer, lads? What's the answer? No. Ah, the internet's not working. Airplane mode. Because I I turned it on to airplane mode. Uh, (laughs) One of them knew it off the top of their head, so that that That, kind of says a lot. That that, that is kind of fair. (laughs) Lads, lads, can I ask, what do you think of school? Depends on the school. Fair point. Uh, Our school, horrible. Horrible. What about what what you learn? Are you interested in what you learn? Not really, because both of us already know it. It depends yeah. on the teacher. Depends on the teacher. It's like if they're interested in the subject, then it's actually really good. Yeah. If they're not interested in the subject, then it's kind of crappy. How it's can like you tell? Like first How can you tell if they're not interested in the subject? Oh, they're just not enthusiastic. They don't yeah, teach like, you all the background. Yeah, so like, oh, this happened, and then this happened, but why? And they never say why. Yeah. They're like, and then this guy died, and that. How or what happened next? Yeah. The cause and effect of anything. There's too many unanswered parts. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like being in first class for four years. <laughs> yeah. 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 
That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. So you heard it. You heard it there, folks. That's from the from the horse's mouth. <laughs> so uh, do you think the plan by the government for twenty forty is suitable to what we? It's what what we know about. We don't know much about the economy, and our ability to predict its progress is pretty poor. But we actually do know a lot about demography, which is the study of population. We know how fast people are reproducing. We know how fast people are dying. We know, roughly speaking, where people are located. The only major variable is um, inward and outward migration. Yeah. Um, so when there's a big collapse, loads of people just leave the country. And when things are going well, people enter the country. So that's a big variable. And it's far larger in Ireland than it would be, let's say, in, um, in the UK. As a percentage, right? And that kind of links yeah. back to accommodation and stuff. Yeah. Well. yeah, yeah. So when you look at Ireland 2040, the whole thing is based on demographic projections, what they think, how many people they think are going to be in Limerick in 2040. Uh, and they reckon that it'll be, it'll be a combined increase of about 150,000 and 50,000 of those people will be in the city. So my, which is fine. My, my big worry is that they're not ambitious enough so imagine that there were 300,000 people in Limerick. That's a really, really, really interesting number. Yeah. Um, because that if that moves us up in terms of density per square kilometer up to the major cities in Europe, major second cities in Europe, actually. Um, and all of a sudden, things become economically viable that wouldn't, wouldn't have a chance today. For example, a light rail system. If you said, I would like a light rail system for Limerick, people would go, eh, noted. That's a waste of money. Yeah. But if you if you have 300,000 extra people in the city, all of a sudden it's a viable option. If you have designed and built a city for an extra 300,000 people, it's a higher, denser, more apartment-based um, life. So you need to have far better op- open spaces, far better public spaces, a different civic um, thought. And that's the kind of plan that I would like, a really ambitious one, because um, I'm not a huge fan of the if you build it, they will come um, analogy. But what is true is that whatever um, reduces the price pressure in other parts of the country will be welcomed. Mm-hmm. And when it does so, um, it will be good for everyone down here. We'll, we will actually have what's called balanced regional development. And the truth about it is our Limerick became rich as a city based on merchants and trade because of the river. That's not coming back, right? It's just not. Ireland's future is in services. It's in intangibles. It's in what people have in their heads and how they apply their ideas to the global economy, right? Um, so therefore, you can do that anywhere. You don't have to be. You can be, you can be in Berlin. You can be in Benin. You can be in a... Portaloo in Guatemala. It doesn't matter, right? As long as you've got a laptop and a Wi-Fi connection, rock on. You know, maybe don't spend too much time in that Portaloo, but you get the idea. Um, and so when you think about these things for a minute, you kind of go, all right, so all you need to do is just get these people in a place where they can have ideas. They've been educated and have confidence enough in themselves to go, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. I should do something with this. They have the tools and the people around them to be able to do that. And they do it here. And when they do it here, they pay their taxes here and they live here and they buy coffee here yeah. and they donate to the University of Limerick here, right? <laughs> you get my point? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so it's it's that. It's that idea of of, of sort of um, uh, maybe like seeding the pitch with the highest quality grass, not because 
you think the quality of the footballs that today is that's going to be played in the grass is the is the best but because it will attract better players right and it's that idea and the more that we can think in those terms like like what is the most ambitious we can be and a little bit more mm-hmm. you know if, if there's one thing the city lacks more than anything else it's ambition you know people say oh Stephen, be realistic and i said i am realistic because i've looked at history you yeah. look at the history of you look at the history of major cities and major city development what you see is a cons- a concerted group of people who really care about it and who are really incentivized to care about it pushing things forward looking unreasonable sounding a bit unhinged sometimes but you look at what they do relative to other places that don't have that and the the difference is is stark and you saw this particularly in the directly elected mayor campaign um there was a hardcore of people who really cared about it here and it pushed a uh, it over the line here and it didn't work anywhere else and i think if you scale that idea up scale that ambition up what you end up with is a far nicer place to live and then uh my lads when they're old enough and i kick them out uh and i will kick you both out by the way like you're yeah we know we're thankful (laughs) (laughs) yeah they are kind of sick of they have to listen to this all day they really do no more pasta and rice yeah i am i'm i am a rubbish cook it is yeah. fair. it's a fair point it's a fair she's point mom is she's amazing at cooking that's true that's she's good i am not uh uh yeah hashtag gender balance but no she's she's uh she's 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 far better at it than i am and the worst thing about it is right like i really try i try so hard i just put in effort like i put in effort at cooking and i fail every time like, um, while they're trying to like put um mum like puts red pesto on the pasta dad puts chili oil on the pasta <laughs> that happened yes that did happen yeah, yeah. mum puts yeah. two um two small two like pinches of chili powder on the piece of chicken dad puts two huge tablespoons <laughs> 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 never works out either way never works out you're, you're completely right uh, and those, it's nice to have this honesty as well it's, that, that is just true and it is in the, and the worst thing about it is like I prepare and I try hard <laughs> and I fail really sometimes. badly and the two sometimes lads are there to remind you yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but only sometimes you get it right it's only sometimes you get it right and you always rub it in yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I help them a lot which means Aaron can rub it in to both of us. That, <laughs> that, is, yeah, that is true. We do share yeah. share the failure, failure as a family. Um, except for Aaron. Except for Aaron. Yeah. He's not adopted. I'm saying that. So, so, what was I talking about? Sorry. You know, um, yeah, so ambition. I, I would love to have a place where uh, in, in 20 or 30 years' time, Limerick is where they would they want to be. Yeah, right? they're going. They go. You know, I, I want to go. I want to study in you know such and such a place. I want to you know uh, do this at university or to do an apprenticeship or do whatever they want to do. Right, and at the end of it, they go. And after all that, I live in Limerick. Right, that's the ambition, because right now we export an enormous number mm-hmm. of our very talented graduates, which is what we should do because we're a small regional economy. 
They yeah. should kick them out. They should go to, you know, London and Amsterdam and New York and Paris and, you know, China, everywhere. Uh, um, but then at a certain point in their lives, they should go, right, I want to go back, go back, go home. And you want there to be the jobs there for them, the opportunities there for them, the housing there for them. You want all that to be there. Yeah. Because if it's there and if it's really nice, they'll come back. And what are they going to bring them, bring back with them? They're going to bring the world back with them, right? All the new ideas, new skills, new ways of doing things. That's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. That's going to be amazing, right? And that's what we should be looking for. Not this, you know, because I get this, oh, Stephen, be realistic. And it's like, that's realistic relative to your baseline here. Yeah. Right. So what they're doing is what we'd like is 5% more of this. And the truth about it is, if you think about infrastructural investment as a way to completely change a conversation about a place, then it's not... Five percent on what we've got now, it's five a five percent increase on a totally different base. That's the way to think about it. Yeah. So that so my thoughts about Ireland to twenty forty is centre around ambition and our ambition for it. And, and on that point, I had a uh, Ryan Gibbons from Airnockharlar.com cool. a podcast a few weeks back, and he he was saying the idea behind the website is while he travels to cherry pick the good ideas he finds on the way, which is similar to what you were. It's just a brilliant idea. Yeah. It's just a brilliant idea, and uh, I just love I just love that stuff. I love I love that people are now bringing these ideas to the um, to the conversation here. Uh, so, for example, uh, the conversation about the three hundred four bus, right? Started by a geographer who literally just took the bus for a day yeah. and just brought the data to the conversation, right? Like that's like bringing cutting edge. Um, geographical information systems to a bus route, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and then saying, which which like loads of people use, right? And they're saying, oh my God, he's saying, he, he, I didn't, I had no notion about how serious this problem was, how recurring this problem was and how like totally structural the yeah. problem was. He's saying the, the timetables, the only way the timetables work, I remember reading Brendan's post really well, the only way the timetables work is if the bus doesn't stop. <laughs> and you're thinking, that's probably a structural flaw. Um, Speed tree. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just toss people in through the windows as it goes through. But, you know, the leap card system and changing all you that. You don't and condone that. that but no, I don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, asterisk, don't toss people through <laughs> bus windows. No, uh, uh, that idea is it's just really strong, isn't it? It's a really nice idea yeah. that you can, that's a po- public policy problem that is really like easily solvable yeah you know you get you get in with bus air and you get in with the national transport authority and you say here's the data i have these three suggestions to make changes i think they were change the leap card system change the timetabling and um change the routes of the bus some of the bus routes yeah. Like not asking for like, give me five billion so I can you know have you know helicopter buses. <laughs> like it's not pie in the sky stuff, right? It's like just add more leap card, beat the yeah. things, and that's fine. So uh, I I think the more of those kinds of ideas we bring to the conversation in the city, I think the better the place will be. Brilliant, uh, Doctor Stephen Kinsler. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Where can people keep up to date with everything you're up to? On uh, Twitter, basically. I'm, yeah. I'm normally on Twitter at uh, Stephen Kinsler. That's uh, with a ph. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be um, I'll be engaging more and more on this. Um, 
my hope is uh, is that starting in September, uh, I'm going to have a series of conversations here uh, in the Limerick Post uh, uh, on a range of issues around Limerick City and Limerick's economy. And my thought would be that we're going to get really, really interesting guests in to talk, to provoke, to completely disagree with me, whatever. But that... Um, the debate that I was talking about gets fostered there. Just get um, that conversation just started. Just get that conversation started. There are so many people who are passionate about this place. I think it's it's probably its biggest asset. And I look forward to it. Thanks very much. And thank you, lads, for joining us as well. <laughs> Thanks, lads. <Yeah. laughs> Cheers. You've been listening to We Are Limerick, a Limerick Post podcast. For more news, sport, entertainment, and more podcasts, visit limerickpost.ie.